0: Listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. We are a local church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's service. Your hands, you
1: hold the universe. Uh, How many, we had a, a good revival last week. Wow, with Evangelist Tony Chase. Some of your lives were changed forever uh, through those services. We received what we needed. Can you say amen? amen. And uh, if you didn't see it already, there's a thank you card standing back there on the sound booth uh, that is from Pastor Tony and his wife, Tori. I really appreciate his ministry. What a wonderful thing. So I want to, uh, I want to begin this message by showing you a short video clip that I saw online. And uh, I think we've got that ready. This is uh, Let me just set this up a little bit. So this is a video of a, a young baby girl, probably right around a year old, she looked like to me. And uh, so it starts raining. She lives in California somewhere. And it starts raining. She's never seen rain in her whole life. This is the first time she's experienced rain. And this is the result. We have audio. Yeah.
0: My dear, this is where blue shapes.
1: One of the cutest things you've ever seen? So uh, let me just go out on a limb here this morning and predict that if it started raining today, you probably would not have the same reaction. And I want to ask the question, why? This beautiful little girl, she saw water falling out of the sky And she was utterly amazed by that. She was in awe. She had wonder. She couldn't believe what was happening. And they tried to put her back in the house. She said, No, 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 I got to experience this. I got to get out in this. I have to be a part of this. Something was exploding in her brain at that little moment. And she, at that moment of her life, there was nothing more incredible than something that we experience so often and don't even think about, the beauty of water falling from the sky. That is a simple little uh, illustration of something that happens so often to us in our lives. The first time that we discover a truth, something that is amazing, something that is wonderful, something that is awe-inspiring, and we are blown away by it. But then through experience, through time, we can experience those same things. And let me tell you, the wonder of the thing that we experience does not change. But what does begin to change is our own experience of it. And so that now, if you're uh, 30 years old or 40 years old or 50 years old, you step out in the rain and you don't, you don't say, wow, wow like she did. You know what we do? We curse and complain We say, this, this blasted rain, I wish it would just go away. And the same thing that used to cause so much joy and exuberance in our lives now becomes a burden and something to complain about. Are there any things in your life that used to inspire you? that used to fill you with awe and wonder, and today you complain about them? For some of us, our marriage is like that. That person that you married, you know, you didn't get married for no reason, right? You got married to somebody because you fell in love. You looked at them and you said, I don't want to spend time with anybody else for the rest of my life. And then that person... Oh, then you discover all their flaws, and you discover all of their problems, and you discover how they drool on the pillow at night. And all of a sudden, that person that you couldn't stop talking to, couldn't stop text messaging with, couldn't stop thinking about, now all of a sudden, they're a burden. Children. I can remember (laughs) some people in our congregation who couldn't wait for the day that they could have children. Now that the children are around, they can't wait for the opportunity for the babysitter to come so you can get out of there, right? <laughs> the thing that we all so, uh, and it happens to all of us, do you remember if you have children, you know the experience of having a child for the first time. You go into that delivery room and there's a, a life that you have created, and it's incredible. It's amazing. The weight, the burden of that is so incredible. And then the children become nothing more than a burden or a tax break. Good for nothing except mouths to feed. And we lose that sense of awe, don't we? We do that for so many things in our lives. We do that when it comes to church many times. We do that because, you know, we come to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday night a revival service. And we come and maybe can you remember the first time that you realized that you could come to church and you could have a meeting with God himself. And how special and how wonderful that was that there's people here in this church that care about me, that love me and want to see me live for God. What a wonderful thing that is. There's nothing that's going to stop me from going to that amazing place. But with some time, the church becomes a burden, becomes something to complain about. We begin to pick out the flaws and the things we don't like. And all of a sudden, the thing that we used to be so amazed by, it's wonderful. Now we complain. So many things in our lives. I want to talk to you this morning about the idea of being captivated and inspired. And our hearts, once again, turned toward those things which truly are amazing in our lives. And in this scripture, we find the heart of David, which is the heart of praise, which is the heart of wonder and awe. And I want to inspire you. I hope this morning that you walk away from this message once again having that childlike inspiration of, oh my goodness, God, you are awesome. And I hope this morning you'll catch this spirit. Psalm 145, we're going to read the first five verses. Join me. A praise of David. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Verse 5, listen carefully. I will meditate. Everybody say meditate. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty. And on your wondrous works. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. And I pray this morning, give me words to speak, God. Give me a a heart, God, that would that would properly describe the incredible truth of who you are this morning. I'm praying, God, that you would give your people the ears to hear, the heart to receive this word today. God, that we would once again be filled with awe and wonder. And we would marvel at the incredible things that you are doing in us and through us and around us. God, once again, an an appreciation for all that you are and all that you are going to do. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, amen. Amen. I want to begin this morning by looking with you at the curse of familiarity. The curse of familiarity. This is what I'm describing to to you this morning as we begin to think about things in our lives that are amazing blessings, amazing things that should fill us with gratitude, fill us with purpose and hope, fill us with thankfulness. And yet through time, many times, as I described, these are the very things that we begin to complain about. These are the very things that we begin to complain. Uh, to see not as a blessing, but as a burden. And I believe the reason, the biggest reason why that happens is because of this. It's the curse of familiarity. It's the curse of becoming familiar or comfortable with things that are so, so special in our lives. So that we come to a point where they are no longer special. This psalm was written by King David, famous man in the scriptures, uh, an author, not, not only an author of most of the psalms, but he was the, the, perhaps the greatest king of Israel, the one who expanded the kingdom. But more than that, the Bible describes David as a man after God's own heart. There was something about David that he sought out the will and the purpose and the majesty of God with all of his life. He was not a perfect man, far from it. One of the reasons that I love the Bible is that it's real. It shows all of its heroes with all of their flaws and all of their problems and their mistakes and their sins. David, no doubt, made grievous sins in his own life and he had to deal with those consequences. But what we see from David Is I want you to catch this this morning. David was certainly a man who had become familiar with the things of God. He was no stranger to the things of God. When we first read his account in the scriptures, as a young boy, he is sought out by the prophet Samuel. We know that the the first king of Israel, Saul, that his time had passed. God is going to take the kingdom from him and pass it to another, God has chosen another in the place of King Saul. And so Samuel's going out and he, he is going to anoint the king with oil. And this, this was a symbolic act that was done in the Old Testament, that the prophet of God would pour out some anointing oil on top of whoever that would be. And that was a symbol of God's decision about who would be the next king of Israel. And we know that From very early, uh, that God spoke to Samuel, Go down to the house of Jesse, one of his sons will be my king. So Samuel obeys. He sees, remember the story, he sees the sons of the man Jesse, and he's got all these fine looking young men. And surely, the oldest son of Jesse, man, he looks like a king. Look at that guy. He's just got the build, he's he's got the face, he's got the character. He looks like Captain America. That's got to be the one. And as he begins to pray, God says, no, that's not him. Oh, okay, do you have any other sons? Yeah, here's the second born. Second born, man, he's just like the first, except a little younger. It's even better, God. Good idea. We're going we're to anoint him. No, not him either. And it goes down the line to all of the sons of Jesse. And finally, God says to Samuel, no, the, 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 the one that I've chosen is not here. They said, do you have any other sons? What, what's going on here? They said, yeah, yeah, there's one more son, but... Come on, not him. It's David. He's up there in the hills running with the sheep. You remember the story. And Samuel says, call him in. And at that time, the Bible describes David as a young man, a young man, probably in his teens, probably 13, 14, 15 years old, somewhere in that range. And as soon as he comes into the presence of Samuel, Samuel recognizes that God has chosen this one, the young one. The one who doesn't have all the fine appearance of his older brothers. The one who spends his time running in the hills with the sheep as a shepherd. From the young age, David is familiar. On that day, Samuel takes his flask of oil and pours it out on David. Could you imagine what that would have been like? Could you imagine as a young boy realizing that this means that one day you will become the king of Israel? He was anointed early on in his life. You read, you fast forward a little bit into his life. There is a time of war. And, uh, and so then the, the Philistines are fighting against the people of Israel. And they are at a standstill. They are to, facing each other across a great valley. Philistines on that side. Israel on this side. First Samuel chapter 17. One of the best chapters in all the Bible. And uh, every day it says that the warrior of the Philistines would come down. His name was Goliath. And he would shake his sword and his shield, and he would curse the God of Israel. And he would say, send a man to come fight with me. And for 40 days, the Bible says, 40 days, the army of Israel was quivering in their boots. No one was brave enough to take on Goliath. And then we read about David and how he shows up on the scene. He shows up on that day, and he hears that wicked Philistine cursing the God of Israel. And he says, hey, isn't there anybody here who will take on Goliath? Okay. I guess I'll have to do it. And as a young boy, as, a, as probably just a teenager. You hearing me, teenager? We got one teenager here. <laughs> Two teenagers. These, he, he, he says, okay, if you all are too scared to do it, I guess I'll do it. King Saul tries to put his armor on, onto David. Says, you better have some protection there, boy. Doesn't fit him doesn't work. He says, nah, my God will protect me. And the Bible says that he began to go down to that battle to fight Goliath, the nine-foot-tall giant from the Philistines. And he ran out to the battlefield He said, my God will be with me. And in one shot, he took his sling. We know the story. The rock was sunk into the forehead of Goliath and in one shot took down the Philistines. Can you imagine what that would have been like for David? He's a young man. He says, my God, the same one that helped me kill the lion and the bear in the wilderness. No problem. Goliath, big deal. God can take him down. Here's a man who has some victories under his belt. He knows what it means. He is familiar with the things of God. Later on, we read that he allies himself to the son of the king, Jonathan. They together as, as a team, they are working to conquer the Philistines, the enemies of the people of Israel. I'm saying all of this because I want you to remember that David has a long record and experience of being used by God and being uh, in touch with God and being a, a man whose heart is close to God. He's got a long experience. He's been around the block a few times. He's had a few victories and no doubt a few defeats. But he, David, is a man who was constantly, you read the Psalms, you read through them, you know that David had lots of troubles, that he was not afraid to pour out his grief and sorrow and pain to the Lord. This is such a good lesson for prayer. Listen, we don't come to God uh, only when things are good. Mostly it's when our lives are a wreck. That we come to him and we can pour out our lives. That's what David did so many times. And we see that he's got a track record. He's got an experience. He's got victories. He's familiar with God. Now there are some good things about being familiar. There are some good things about having some experience. We sing that song. One of my favorite songs, the new ones that we sing, it's called Great Things. Lord, you do great things right? You've done great things in our past, and that's why we believe you're going to do great things in our lives. Those victories in the past become our reference point, that we can look back. And when we go through problems now, they can become strength and faith for us today. That's a good thing about having some experience, having some time under your belt as a Christian, having some years of going through ups and going through some downs. That's called Christian maturity. Paul desired that the people uh, in the church would have a level of maturity. Can you say amen? That we should no longer be uh, surviving on the milk only, like babies, but that we should grow into maturity. That he wants to give us new and better things. And that's what experience can do for us. It can allow us to experience greater things of God that we didn't know about in the past. But there's also a danger this morning. There's also a danger about having experience, and that is the danger of familiarity. What do I mean by that this morning? Is it possible for us to become so familiar with holy things, things that are so special, that they begin to lose value in our lives? I can remember uh, back in 2010, oh, nine years ago almost, it's hard to believe all that time has gone by already, but when we, uh, when we came back from Bulgaria, my wife and I had lived in Bulgaria as missionaries for four and a half years, and uh, when we arrived here, we flew into the Norfolk airport, and uh, Pastor Sloan, previous pastor of this church, he picked us up from the airport, was very kind, and helped us out. And uh, so we, we've, we're gathering all of our bags. All of our earthly belongings are in about four suitcases coming back from the mission field. Uh, almost nothing to our names. so we're going to start a whole new life here in, in Norfolk, in Virginia Beach. And the very first thing that blew us away about coming back to America, like we were only gone for four and a half years, but you don't realize how fast things are changing around you. We came back, and the first thing – uh, so we get out, we're, we're carrying our suitcases, and the, we get out to the parking lot, and Pastor Sloan had, a, had some kind of a Ford something, Explorer, Expedition. He had a Ford Expedition, and so he, he's got his keys in his pocket, you know. And he pulls his keys out, and he goes, Chi-chi! and to us that's nothing, but he pushed the button, and the back of that Expedition started opening like this. <laughs> and my wife and I, it was like we had never seen something like that. In our whole because in Bulgaria that I mean cars are way different in Eastern Europe, okay? So he pulls his and he goes and we were like, Wow! We didn't know pastors could have cars like this. <laughs> it was amazing. Couldn't believe it. The back of the car opened by itself. We we were blown away and he was laughing at us. Oh my goodness. We thought that was so incredible. We were so impressed by the automatic door. And you know why? Because it was the first time we had seen that. We hadn't seen it. We hadn't been, I mean, before we left, the only cars that had stuff like that was like the super high, fancy, expensive cars. And we were like, oh man, you must have a good salary, Pastor. Getting excited, you know? <laughs> we came back, and now... Automatic doors, no big deal. I'm just used to it, right? Don't even think about it. Don't even skip a beat because now it's just, it's on every car almost. Push the button, the trunk lid opens up. And the reason is because I've become familiar with that. You know, um, sometimes I think about what it would be like to travel back in time, you know, if you could just take an iPhone, this is like, you know, this is a new iPhone that we got before the new year, could you imagine if you took this back just 40 years ago, you know, back to the 1980s, the 1970s, and you, and you showed this to people, and, and, and what does it do? It takes pictures, really, it can wake you up in the morning, Really? It can remind you of your dental appointment that's coming up? Seriously? And and you can use it to actually see somebody's face on the other side of the planet? You can do all of that? That's incredible! How much is it worth? $10,000? No. Almost everybody has one. See, to us, it's not something special because we keep it in our pocket. To people even... 10 years ago or 15 years ago, do you remember that the first iPad was released in the year 2008? It's only 10 years old. Before that, the world didn't know anything about tablets. The world is constantly changing. And, you know, today an iPad, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? What was once so special to us, now that it's become familiar, is not so special anymore. So it's not so important when this happens to earthly or material things. It's dangerous this morning when it comes to spiritual things. And I want you to think about this with me. If you look at the Bible, which generation saw more incredible miracles than every other generation? Maybe the people that were around during Jesus' ministry, they saw tons of miracles. But I think the greatest miracles recorded in the Bible, the greatest manifestations of God's power were in the first few chapters of Exodus, right? Those people, those slaves in Egypt, they were praying for 400 years, send us a deliverer, right? And God heard their prayer, sent Moses, and what followed after that, the way that God moved... To bring them out of Egypt, they saw greater miracles than anybody could ever imagine. They saw the Nile turn into blood. They saw it rain frogs. Right? They saw, uh, they saw the, uh, the, the, the locusts begin to devour the whole city. They saw the, they saw the curse of darkness, the whole city. The, the whole nation was under a curse of darkness for a time. I mean, we're talking about big miracles, right? We're talking about the death of the firstborn, Moses predicted. If you don't let us go, the firstborn of every uh, Egyptian and every, all of your animals, uh, they're, they're all going to die. And then it came to pass, man. Incredible miracle after miracle. And then, then they, they come up to the, the Red Sea, and the Bible says that the sea opened up for them. And they walked across on dry ground. They get out into the desert. They complain. We're thirsty, Moses. We're thirsty. And what does God do? He says, okay, you're going to drink water from this rock over here. Can you imagine the miracles? And again and again, God is providing, oh, you're hungry. Okay, here's what I'll do. I'm going to rain down magical food from heaven for you. I dare you to find somebody who has experienced more miracles than those people in those first few chapters of Exodus. But here's what I want you to think about. Which generation made God more angry than those same people? The ones who saw the greatest miracles also rebelled against Him with greater fervency. Why is that? They became familiar. The miracles of God, the ones that you want to see so bad, They became commonplace to those people. The same ones that Moses goes up the mountain to retrieve Ten Commandments, he comes back down, and what are they doing? They've created an idol of gold. They're dancing and partying, and they're worshiping a new God, the one that they said, this is the one that has brought us out of Egypt. (sighs) How could it be? I'll tell you they became comfortable, they became familiar with the God who can do miracles. And that, this morning, that is the dangerous part of becoming familiar with the things of God. The third commandment that Moses brought down is the sin that goes like this, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. I preached a message about that last year sometime. So often when we hear that commandment, we think about cussing. And yes, cussing is a form of taking the name of the Lord in vain. But really, the heart of the issue of that third commandment is what we're talking about today. It's taking the name of the Lord. Is there any other name more important than that name? Is there any other name that carries the weight of that name? That name is the most special name, the name of God, the name that can change your life. Jesus' name, we say, let it be in Jesus' name. Let it be in the name. When we get baptized, the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the name of Jesus, right? It is the name. There is power in his name. And so when you take that name and you use it, you bump your toe in the middle of the night, and what do you say? Oh! Do you see why that's such a sin? You've taken the name that is above every name and you've used it in the place of a cuss word. You've dragged his name through the mud. But see, that's more than just a sin of the mouth. It's a sin of the heart. It's when we take those things that are so special, so holy, so incredible to God, and we make them commonplace. Not only do we take the name of the Lord in vain, we take his, his word in vain. Can we talk about the Bible for a minute? Do you remember when you first discovered how powerful this book was? That it began to speak to you in the situation that you are going through and you couldn't get enough of it? I remember one time uh, uh, back before the internet. <laughs> got to sound like an old person. I remember that they came out with this, uh, this audio Bible on CD. It was a whole packet. It was like a folder full of like 50 CDs. And every one of those CDs, it was the, the entire Bible on audio. Boy, that was a discovery for me. So I was working at a job at the time that I could, I could listen to stuff and work at the same, same time. So in the course of about, well, so I started listening. I started right from the beginning with Genesis. I said, okay, let's see what this is like, audio Bible. And man, I fell in love with it instantly. As I began listening to that person who was reading, narrating the Bible, it just began to connect with me. And it was the first time that the Word of God really had power in the situation I was going through. And I remember going through those CDs, and in the course of maybe six weeks, I got through the whole Bible. I just couldn't get enough of it. Six weeks. So often, it's just a struggle for me to read even one scripture each day, just to do my daily Bible plan. Oh, on Friday, Friday this week, I got to the end of the day. It was about midnight. I was falling asleep, dozing off, and I realized I spent the whole day without reading one scripture. Convicted me. Said, God, I've taken what is holy, what is righteous, what has power to change my life, and I've taken it in vain. Prayer. Can you imagine how special prayer is? <laughs> prayer is an opportunity for you to talk to the creator of the universe. Can you imagine? Do you remember when you first realized what prayer was and you could actually talk to God and He would actually talk back to you and you couldn't stop thinking about that? And now we take that for granted. We take that special thing and we treat it as commonplace. And we say, oh, we just go through our common prayer routines and our common prayer noises that we make and they hit the ceiling and fall back down in our face." because we don't, we've become too familiar. The best example of this, as we begin to bring this to a close, the best example, I believe, is right at the beginning, Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve, <laughs> they had a perfect environment. They had it all. They had a perfect relationship with God, God would come down to them in the garden. They'd have a little walk and talk together, apparently. They'd have a time that that God could show them some cool stuff about the world that he made. He'd teach them. In Jewish tradition, it is during those walks that God showed man how to make a fire, by the way. We don't have that in the biblical account, but... It is during those times that God gave Adam so much wisdom and insight and and Eve as well and they were together and they were in perfect harmony. And Adam and Eve had a perfect marriage. They didn't ever fight. They always loved and respected one another. They were naked and had no shame. What an incredible environment that would be. And we don't know exactly how long they were in that place. But I can tell you this, it was long enough that they became familiar. They became too comfortable. And Eve, there became a place in her heart that the devil could begin to target. And when he came on the scene, the words that he spoke was, God's holding something back from you, Eve. God is holding out on you. See this tree over here, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. See, God doesn't want you to have that. And what happened? She became so familiar with the beauty and the wonder of the Garden of Eden that she thought she could get it better. That right there is the sin that we so often fall into. Can I tell you, you are hungry for wonder. You are hungry to wonder and awe after something. And if that something is not God and His Word and His will, it'll be something lesser. Today is the big game. Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday. There's going to be millions of people across this country that the thing that they wonder and awe after is a victory for Tom Brady. And when he gets it, there's going to be people who shout, or doesn't get it. There'll be other people who shout, <laughs> and they will. Their lives will be filled with wonder and awe. It's amazing. He did it. They did it. Uh, my team. They made it. Yes, they beat them. They got them. They did it. For what? A trophy made of metal that in a hundred years or a thousand years nobody's going to care. But what we are doing here in this building is something supernatural. We are talking about someone that we will be worshiping for all eternity. Someone that we will be serving for the rest of our experience in time and eternity. And we get more excited about going to a wing place to watch a game on a screen. That's not right. We've taken the things that are holy And we've degraded them. And in its place, we've lifted up something else, just like Eve did. This idea of a life. This idea of something, oh, it's just going to be wonderful, God, yeah, whatever. But this is going to be, oh, if I could just get a bank account that has some money in it, right? Oh, if I could just have a relationship with that one person. Oh, if I could just have enough. If I could just get that one car. That I've been dreaming of. And really, what we're doing is we're committing the sin of idolatry. We're replacing God with something that is so much less. God makes fun of people who worship idols in the book of Isaiah. He says, "Oh, you're going to worship that thing. It has no eyes, can't see you, it has no ears, can't hear you." And he mocks. So I want to close with this last thought this morning. Winning the war of awe and wonder. Being captivated. Yes, it's a war. There is a war raging in your life every day. For what will you wonder about? What will you be captivated by? What is going to steal your attention? There is a war. And this world is fighting to have that place. Every commercial that you see, it says, "Oh, you need to wonder at this new breakfast cereal. Look at how amazing it is. It's cinnamon toast Crunch, and they add a whole nother one to it, and they say, "Wow!" And you pass by the taco bell and they've created some new-fangled burrito, and we go by and we say, "Oh, It's a burrito and a quesadilla. It's a quesarito! I can't wait! It's the commercial world that we live in. Always got to come up with something new, something amazing, something that's going to take your attention. Here's where the battle must be fought. You and I, as people who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, whose lives have been purchased by His blood, you and I have to fight this war to keep our eyes focused on the one saved us. And that's where this scripture comes into play. Come with me again to Psalm 145. You still have it open in your Bible. Psalm 145. This is the decision that David made. This is the reason why I chose this scripture. Because David, he made a decision in his mind. This is an act of his will. Remember again, David's a man who had experience. David has been around the block with God. He knows what it means to serve God. He knows knows what it is to fail God and to recover. And now, with all of that experience, this is the decision that he made. Everybody say the word decision. The decision. You have a decision this morning, just like David did. Either to worship the things of this world or the, the dreams of your own mind, which we know will always lead to destruction. Or we can make a decision to worship the only one who deserves our praise. Listen to what he says. I want to read it again. Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God. O king. Do you know what that word means, extol? It means to be lifted up. I will exalt. I will raise it up higher than other things. You are. Oh, God, you are worthy of being in the first place in my life. Jesus said, seek ye. Oh, no. No, I thought it said, seek ye second, the kingdom of God. Did it say, seek ye third, fourth, fifth, eighth, ninth? It said, seek ye first, the kingdom of God. This is what it means to extol God. This is a decision that you and I have to make. That we have to come every single day and say, God, this day, I will raise you up in my life. I will extol you. I will treat you as special, as holy, as righteous. I will extol you, O God. And I will bless your name forever and ever. Verse 2, every day I will bless you. This is a, this is a generation... That's looking for the blessing. It's looking for the direction. God, what are you going to do to bless me in my life? How are you going to bless my finances? How are you going to bless my experience? God, in what way are you going to bless me today? David turns it around, doesn't he? He says, no, God, I'm going to bless you. So often we hear from politicians. We hear them say, God, bless America. I say, America, bless God. Because God has blessed America. incredible ways but we have failed to bless him David says I'm going to bless you God I'm going to spend my life figuring out how I can please you I've heard my pastor pray this prayer for years he said God make me a blessing make me a blessing to my wife make me a blessing to my church make me a blessing to my children you know, that's a really good prayer for you, pray. I want to be a blessing to other people. You know why? Because it takes you out of the situation. It's selfish to say, I need blessing. But when you get outside of yourself, you begin to understand, I want to be a blessing for others. Verse 3, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable i've said it before but this is why heaven is going to be exciting some people think that heaven's going to be boring oh no the reason why heaven is going to be exciting is because of that right there because of an unsearchable god you think you know something about him now You've only learned half of half of half of 1% about who God is. You've only learned a minute. You've only experienced a a half of a half of a half of a half of a percent of what God wants to do in your life. That's what we mean when we say he is unsearchable. He is beyond our ability to understand how big can you imagine him? How big can you think of him? How big is he in your mind? Now take it and double that. And triple that. He is unsearchable. That's the God we serve. We sing these songs. I just got some some of the songs we sang tonight. We sing these songs. And you know <laughs> we, we we become so familiar that the words just fall out of our mouth and we don't even think about them anymore. Rock of Ages. There is no rock, no God like our God. He cannot be moved. If we truly meant those words when we sang them, we would be like that little kid in the video, like, it's amazing that we can put our trust. He is our foundation. Verse 4, one generation shall praise your works to another. Now we're talking about teaching. We're talking about dis, uh, discipleship. This is not just something that is between us and God. This is about taking what we've received, taking this sense of awe and wonder, and passing it to another generation. This is what the church has lost out on so much in the last generation. We've missed this opportunity to take this incredible awe and respect and pass it to someone else. In the Old Testament, God instructed his people at the site of a a miracle. When they crossed the Jordan River, he said, take a pile of stones out of the river and pile them up, one for each tribe. And the reason why, they said, God, why do you want us to do this? He said, because in future generations there's going to be children who pass by the pile of rocks. And they say, why is this here? They say, this is the spot where God did a miracle for us. Let me tell you the story. Let me tell you how we had wandered in the desert. Let me tell you the miracle that God stopped the, the Jordan River and it piled up on one side as we walked across on dry ground into the promised land. It's right, this right here, happened right here. Somewhere, you and I as believers, we've got to pass on the legacy, the miracle that God has done in our lives. Pass it on to our children. Pass it on to new believers who are getting saved. Pass it on to the new people who are coming into our church. It's not enough for us to have this sense of awe and wonder and respect. And we've got to pass it on to another. And finally, verse 5, this is something you can do today. This is a sermon you can put into action today. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Everybody say the word meditate. 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 Meditation. We're not talking about some Eastern transcendental guru sitting cross-legged. No, no, no. Meditate simply means to think deeply about something. This is something we are not good at in this generation. We are very good at allowing our attention to be stolen. This is why we've made a decision not to have a TV in our house. Because how easy it is just to let the thing stay on, and it's constantly pulling you in. Right? But it can happen. It doesn't have to be a TV in your house. It can be this little thing, right? I've seen people who let their children starve, go for days without bathing them because they're on Facebook. I've seen people who, uh, you know, the ding on the phone, can I tell you? The ding on the phone, the little buzz you get in your pocket, did you ever have one of those ghost buzzes? You felt it, but it wasn't actually in your pocket. You know why that is? Your body reproducing that little, that little experience? Because every time you get a ding on your phone or a buzz in your pocket, it gives you a hit of dopamine in your brain, the reward center of your brain. you whoa, I got to get that. You get that hit of dopamine. And we become addicted to that. In the same way that previous generations were addicted to cocaine or drugs or, 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 or weed, we become addicted to that hit of dopamine buzz in my pocket. I have to look at that. And if we're looking at this, we're probably not looking at this. David said, I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty. Have you seen people in the middle of a concert or in the middle of a wedding or in the middle of something special happening, and they're experiencing the whole thing like this? Oh, it's awesome. Wow! And miss out on the entire experience. This thing can be dangerous too, I'm telling you. You know the, the, the Silicon Valley executives, the people in charge of Facebook and Google, these people in Silicon Valley, they actually have special private schools that they send their children to where there are no electronics, no computers, no iPads, no phones. It's pens and paper and books because they know, they know how, how addicting in a world, the war is raging for your attention this morning. My call today is once again to find a sense of awe and wonder in the things which are truly special. And what are the things that are truly special in your life? I'll tell you, number one is God and the things that he has done in your life. Number two is the people in your life. The people, your husband, your wife, your children. Number three, the things that are important to you, the will of God, your ministry, the church. Maybe after that is making a living for yourself. It's important, but it's not the most important. And my call this morning is to put our priorities back in order. To to win this war of the mind, of the heart. God, like that little girl. I want to experience you, God. Again, for the first time. Jesus said, return to me your first love. You Remember when you first got saved. And you were just so amazed that God could use somebody like you. You were just so amazed that God would save somebody like you. You remember when you first joined ministry. You first became an usher. You're like, oh man, I can't believe they let me be an usher. Oh oh my gosh, it's amazing. They must have got something wrong. I didn't tell them everything about me. I remember the very first time I preached a sermon. I was so nervous I was going to throw up. But we, we let things slide. We let it become normal. Not today. Today we will meditate on the glorious splendor of his majesty. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a few moments today.
0: We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, VBPH.org.